Hello, and welcome to A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall, a ministry of Calvary Chapel San Juan Capistrano. Open your Bible and join us as together we seek to grow in our daily walk with the Lord. The Apostle Paul had spent 315 verses, a total of 11 chapters, writing on the subject of what God has done for us. We learned of the doctrine of condemnation, that is, that the entire world was in sin, pointed out that all of mankind, no matter what their background, are born with a sin nature. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us we're all sinners. And thus, because we are all sinners, we are condemned. However, on the heels of condemnation that we deserved, the Apostle Paul revealed the doctrine of justification. Although man is condemned, God has provided a way through his Son whereby we could be forgiven, whereby we could be justified by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible tells us that our salvation was purchased, our redemption was purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. We were in the slave market of sin, and Jesus, with his own blood, purchased us from the slave market, set us free so that we'd never have to be slaves again. And the way in which he accomplished our redemption was by becoming, the Bible says, our propitiation. And the word propitiation means that Jesus took the punishment that we deserved, that the wrath of God that should have been poured out on us was poured out on him. He took our place. He was our propitiation. And so now, by trusting in what he has accomplished, we're justified. It's just as if we never sinned. We've been forgiven. But then we learned of the doctrine of sanctification. That is, now that we are justified, we are set apart for the purposes of God. Set apart to be holy. And God not only sets us apart, but there is also a process of sanctification that we enter into, whereby the Spirit of God is making us more like Jesus And then because we have been redeemed and we have been justified and we have been sanctified, the Bible also tells us that one day we're going to be glorified, that we're going to be with the Lord for eternity. We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ in his coming glory. And then we moved into Romans chapters 9 through 11. As Paul turned his attention entirely upon the nation of Israel and cited God's dealings with Israel in the past, in the present, and into the future. And we learn some astounding things about God's character and about God's nature, such as his sovereignty. God is in complete control of every situation. The Bible tells us that God's purposes will be accomplished. We learn not only of the sovereignty of God, but the equity of God. That is, that God is just in dealing with the nation of Israel, that he has been more than fair with them. We also learned of the integrity of God, how that in the future, although Israel had failed and rejected God, he would still be true and faithful to them and fulfill the covenant he made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and with David. 
And even though Israel is temporarily set aside at the present time, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, when the last Gentile is converted, the last Gentile is grafted in to the root. Listen, the Bible tells us that once again, God will deal with the nation of Israel, revealing himself to them. That brings us to chapter 12. And now in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul gives an exhortation to do something with what we've been given. Now that I've come to an understanding of my Christianity, scripturally speaking, I've I've entered into this intimate relationship with God. How does that affect my life practically, daily? And being able to do this, Paul tells us that we are to present ourselves as living sacrifice, making a full commitment to God of all that we are in response to all that God has done for me. I respond and say, God, all that I am is yours. All that my life consists of belongs to Jesus. You purchased me with your blood. I'm yours. I'm not my own. I've been bought with the price, and therefore I'm to glorify God in my body and my spirit, which are his, the Bible says. And so Paul writes in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. When Paul says, I beseech you, he's not commanding them to present themselves to God. Rather, he is exhorting them. I'm exhorting you. I'm encouraging you to present yourself. It's voluntary. He's not forcing them to do it. He's saying, I'm, I'm beseeching you, but it's really up to you. I'm beseeching you. On what basis was he beseeching them? On the basis of God's mercy. 11 chapters about the mercy of God, salvation, justification, redemption, sanctification, future glorification. All of that is because of God's mercy. And so the response should be, I present all that I am back to the Lord. This offering of myself back to the Lord is on the basis of all that he has done for me. Again, it is voluntary to present my body as a living sacrifice. The word present means to offer or to put at one's disposal or to yield to. Your bodies, all that you are. You know, the Greeks felt that the body was inherently evil. That who you really were, of course, was the spirit and soul. And what you did with the body was inconsequential. It didn't matter what you did with the body. So you could indulge in any form of the gratification of your flesh because it's just your body. It's not, it's not who you really are. It doesn't really affect you. And the body didn't seem to matter to them. So they would participate in all kinds of immoral things. Yet Paul is writing to the Roman believers who were surrounded by that within their culture and said, don't do that. Your body belongs to God. Our bodies, the Bible tells us, are the temple of the Holy Spirit where God desires to dwell. What are you doing with your body? Does it glorify God? Does it please the Lord? In Leviticus, when a sacrifice, and you can read about it, when a sacrifice would be offered, It was to be laid on the altar, it was put to death, and then it was lit on fire, and all of it was to be completely consumed. But we're called to be living sacrifices. 
offered up to the Lord. I offer to the Lord all that I am. Everything that makes up John Randall's life, I offer back to the Lord and say, Lord, my life is yours. Do with this life whatever you desire. This is my commitment to you. Consume me, Lord, that I might be a living sacrifice offered up to you. Guys, the difference between the Old Testament sacrifice and the New Testament sacrifice is the Old Testament sacrifice was offered up, died. But when a Christian offers himself to the Lord, although he dies, is crucified with Christ to the old life, he lives. That's when you begin to live. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But I also live a resurrected life. The old person is dead. But now I'm a new person in Christ. And that new person, that resurrected life, offers myself on the altar of consecration and sacrifice to the Lord, asking him to do with my life whatever he desires. And Paul says here, It's reasonable. It's reasonable. In light of the mercies of God, it's reasonable service. This commitment is completely logical. When you really think about it and you understand all that God has done, it is rational, it is logical, it is reasonable to offer all that I am back to God. In fact, it would be irrational not to offer all that I am back to God, seeing that he offered all that he did for me. One missionary put it this way. If Jesus Christ be God and gave himself for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to offer back to him. It was David Livingston who was a missionary in Africa. And people always marveled at the sacrifices he made, the the places that he was willing to go, and how long he stayed in that country. And this was his response. Quote, people talk of sacrifice that I've made in spending so much of my life in Africa, but can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt of owing to our God, which we can never repay? Away with such a word. Such a view and such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk of when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Close quote. There was a female missionary to the Conga. And years ago she wrote what she called a covenant of dedication based on Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And this is what she wrote. Quote, Lord Jesus, I belong to thee from head to foot and will always be thine. For thou hast redeemed me, thou art king of my life, and has absolute and undivided rule over all my affections and will and desire. My chief aim in life is to please you. So do thou change me, cleanse me, use me as thou wilt. I ask thee to help me loyally to keep this covenant, for I am willing to lay down my life for thy sake if thou should ask me. It's reasonable. It's somebody who understands this is what God did for me. God gave his very best for me. How can I give him anything less than all that I am? It's reasonable. Some people seek to live their Christian life, but they don't surrender to the Lord. 
Lord, I'll give you this part of my life. Take this part of my offering. You know what, Lord? Let me tell you what I'm going to consecrate to you. Sunday mornings, 9.30 service, all yours. Have your way, Lord. Do it. Do it in me. I surrender some. You know, it's just this whole misunderstanding. When God desires all, having offered my body as a living sacrifice to the Lord, a number of things begin to take place in my life. Changes. A work of the Spirit as I yield myself. It's interesting, too, when you think about a living sacrifice. Someone said that living sacrifices always jump off the altar. Dead ones don't, but living ones do. When the heat's turned up and the refining process begins and all that needs to be burned away and refined. Whoa, hey, Lord. Mm. But when we offer ourselves, a number of things take place. First of all, it changes the way that I live. It says in verse, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word conformed refers to an act of an individual assuming an outward expression that doesn't come from within him, nor is it representative of his inner heart life. Paul says, don't be conformed. His exhortation to the believers would be, stop assuming the outward expression or the pattern of this world that doesn't come from, nor is it representative of what you are in a regenerated state as a child of God. Don't do that anymore. That's not who you are. Don't put that on. That's, that doesn't reveal what you are on the inside. Don't take that on yourself. Don't, don't compromise with that. Don't conform yourself to that. Stop masquerading with worldly mannerisms in your speech, in your habits. Don't be a chameleon which takes colors from its surroundings to blend in. Some Christians live that way. It depends on where they are, which will determine how they act. They adapt to their surroundings. If they're around the people at the job and they're using profanity, well, I don't want to be a peculiar people, so I'm going to change my colors and I'm going to end up being just like them and no one will know the difference. If I'm with the Christian people, hey, man, praise the Lord, hallelujah. Bless God. You need prayer? I mean, we're going to suddenly adapt over here and it changes. It ought not to be so. J.B. Phillips said it this way. His... His version of Romans 12, 2 said this, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And let's face it, the world is seeking to squeeze us into its mold. It is coming from every direction, seeking to make us like the rest of the world. The world that Paul speaks of here, when he says the world, it speaks of the mass of thoughts, opinions, speculations, hopes, impulses, aims, goals, aspirations, which are very current within the world. But they're not necessarily the goals and the aspirations and the desires of Christ. The painful truth, I think, is sometimes we do allow the pressure of the world to squeeze us into its mold. We don't want to be different. 
or considered different. We'd like to be what the world classifies as normal, acceptable, tolerant, loving, according to the world's standards. So we at times will masquerade what we're really called to be. We change. We hide. But the problem with that is when we put on this conformity to the world, it hides the living Lord Jesus within our hearts, and it can be a covering through which the Holy Spirit cannot radiate the beauty of Jesus and the message of the gospel. We are either in one of two categories this morning. We are either conformers or we're transformers. And I don't mean robots that turn from cars into robots. What I mean is, you're either trying to fit into the mold which the world gives you that consists of things that are fleeting, that are passing, what we wear, what we drive, how we look. We're letting the world squeeze us into its mold or we're transforming. We're either a thermometer or a thermostat. We, we are either constantly adjusting our temperature to the culture or we are changing the climate of the culture. And that's up to us. What do you want to be? What do I desire? The world will constantly be on your back trying to get you to conform through compromise. This conformity can be very subtle. You may not even notice it at first. The world has a way of desensitizing the believer very subtly, very slowly. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, John writes, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the Bible also says in John 3.16, God so loved the world. But here, John says, do not love the world. Is, are they contradicting one another? No. When John talks about the world, he's not talking about the lost who need to be saved we're to love the world in that sense the same way that God loves the world. He's talking about the believer loving the world system, wanting to be just like the world, loving all that the world stands for. The Bible says that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. Too many believers today are not only in the world, but they're more like the world. They're of it. John says, don't. Don't love it. Don't be enamored by it. It is temporary. It's not eternal. The person who has set their lives upon the altar of the Lord doesn't succumb to the temptation to compromise or to be squeezed in to a mold or a pattern of this world. And rather than being conformed, Paul says, Here, here's what we do. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is the word metamorphosis. Just like what happens to a caterpillar when it goes into a cocoon. And after it goes through its process of development, it comes out with wings. It is a metamorphosis. 
And it's the same thing that happens to a tadpole that becomes a frog. There is a metamorphosis. There's a transformation from something to something else. It's actually the same word, interesting, that is used in Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, Mark chapter 9, verse 2. It's the word that's used to describe the transfiguration of Christ. A change, an alteration. Paul used the same word in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, when he said this. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his likeness with increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This transformation takes place on a daily basis. The Holy Spirit is changing the way that I think. The world says, think like this. The Bible says, think according to this. It's through God's word that I'm able to see clearly. I see things differently. My mind is being renewed. I do not see things the way that I used to see them before I walked with the Lord. I see things completely different. I see people different. I see the world different. I see eternity different. I see it all different because here's where it becomes clear, through God's word. It changes the way that I think. There's a renewing of the mind. It's a, it's a gradual conforming of the person to, to more and more to the spiritual world. A renewal, a renovation, a complete change for the better. A renewing of your mind. By the way, whatever you put into your mind will affect how you think. The Bible says take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What are you feeding your mind? Whatever you're feeding your mind is going to filter into your heart and it's going to make its way out into our actions. Guard your mind. Guard your heart. Out of it springs the issues of life, the Bible says. As I continue to offer myself to the Lord as a living sacrifice, the Holy Spirit is working within me. He is transforming me. But in this transformation, it's not something, folks, that is, is simply cosmetic on the outside. Rather, it's something that takes place on the inside. My mind is being renewed by the word of God. My mind is being cleansed by the word of God. That's where the transformation takes place. As the word of God is within my heart, it begins to filter through my life and change me. And within this transformation, within this commitment, of being a living sacrifice. There's a transformation of my mind, a non-conformity to this world. And that's a fight. That's a spiritual battle. Because you won't always be loved. You might be hated, rejected, despised. So was Jesus. But something else happens as we present ourselves on this altar of sacrifice and worship. And that is this, verse 2, proving what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As I present myself as a living sacrifice to the Lord, do you know what I discover? Listen, the will of God. The will of God. Over the years, people have come and asked me, hey, Pastor John, what's God's will for my life? I don't know, I'm not sure. Let's, let's ask the Lord. I, I don't know what his will is for your life. 
Well, what do you think God, I don't know, but here's something I do know. I know that you can discover the will of God. Say, how? How do I discover it? What's the secret? You know how? Here it is, right here. This is it. It's right here. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. And as I present myself on this altar of sacrifice and say, God, my life is yours. You know what happens? When I say, God, my life is yours, God says, let me show you my will. Let me show you what I want to do with your life. If I'm over here saying, hey, God, that's a great altar, but I'm going to stay on the altar of the world. I'm going to stay over here. Good luck with that. I mean, how are you going to discover God's will when you're living according to the pattern of this world? God's will doesn't operate according to the pattern of the world. It, it operates according to the pattern of the word. And therefore, I need to present myself. And as I present myself on this altar, God says, John, I'm going to show you my will for your life. You're submitted to me. You're willing to do what I ask. So here it is. Because if I'm over here, why would I submit to that? They're going in opposite directions. But as you present yourself to the Lord, it's amazing how you can begin to discern and understand God's will for your life. As my mind is being renewed, I'm understanding what God's will is. I'm not compromising with the world, and I am becoming and being transformed in my mind and in my person who God desires me to be and who he's called me to be. It's reasonable. But Paul takes it a step further in verse 3. Look what he says. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. In discovering the will of God and the blessings of a life of commitment to the Lord. Paul says, be careful lest you become puffed up. We're not to think too highly of ourselves. But to think humbly, soberly. Not prideful. We're not to praise ourselves or become assuming, or, or take some higher position. Jesus said, take the lower spot. Be the servant. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says, he has shown you, O oh man, what is good. And that is this, and what he requires of you, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. As I discover, as my mind is being transformed through the word of God, it doesn't lead me to arrogance. It leads me to humility, it leads me to a place where I realize, apart from him, I can do nothing. I realize that it is all of grace. And it humbles me. So I present myself to him. And I say, God, just do with me whatever you want. Have your way in me. Thanks for joining us today for A Daily Walk with Pastor John Randall. You'll find us online at adailywalk.org. That's a good place for resources to help you grow in your daily walk. If you'd like prayer or have questions or comments you'd like to share with us, our email is adailywalk at gmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 877-242-0828. That's 877-242-0828. 
To watch today's message again or any message you may have missed in the series, download our free app. Simply search CCSJC. Be sure to stay tuned with Pastor John on Instagram at John P. Randall and on Twitter at PJRandall7. Make sure to join us next time when we'll again open the Word together, seeking to apply God's truth to your daily walk.